Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And a little while ago, we dove into one of Greta's longtime obsessions on the show. Which is not, in fact, the oboe. It is the bassoon, though they are both double reed instruments. And I, for the life of me, cannot keep track of which is which. (laughs) I have now given up. I have some form of aphasia when it comes to these two instruments. I'm sorry. It's a thing that happens. In any case, this week we're going to dive into one of Trisha's obsessions, which is the Supreme Court of the United States. And Trisha, I thought to start with this segment, we could begin with a fun fact, which is that you took the law school entrance exams for fun, right? Yes. <laughs> Tell us more. Uh, I was 19. I, at the time, thought that I wanted to grow up to cover the Supreme Court. So I thought maybe I would need to go to journalism school and then law school. Uh huh. But I didn't prepare for them. They were just like happening on campus and I signed up like the day before and then I went and I took them. How'd it go? I mean, that feels a little impolite to talk about. <laughs> okay. Fair I did enough. just fine. <laughs> if this doesn't work out, I can go to law school. That's those all I'm going to say about Those it. scores expired. They did not expire. Did they, they expire? Oh, PREs expire after five years. That's why I went to no, no, graduate no, the LSAT school. LSAT is like did. ten years. Oh no, it's coming up. I might. It might be expired. I think it's. Hang on, I gotta I go to law school real quick. I'll be back in three years. I'll be right back. But uh, yeah, I've always been super fascinated with the Supreme Court. So I knew you were into the Supreme Court, but I didn't know that you wanted to be a Supreme Court reporter. Yeah, I think it's the most fascinating part of our government that these nine people are the arbiters of what is okay in our country. When push comes to shove and something really big is happening, whether it's kind of wonky or a super hot-button cultural issue, nine people in silly robes decide. Hollingsworth versus George W. Bush and Richard Cheney versus Albert Gore. 14-556, Obergefell versus Hodges, and the consolidated cases. Good morning, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The intimate and committed relationships of same-sex couples, just like those of heterosexual couples. I think it's time now for the ultimate nerd confession, which is about the tapes. It's time to talk (laughs) about the tapes. Yeah, so taking the LSATs at 19 wasn't really where this started. It was just a natural evolution of an Mm -hmm. obsession that began much earlier. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And kudos to my parents for taking a child who really liked to argue and trying to funnel that into something productive (laughs) and giving me... A set of audio tapes that were called May It Please the Court. Mm -hmm. And it was recordings, real recordings of the oral arguments before the Supreme Court for some of the most important cases since 1950 to I think probably the late 80s, early 90s, whenever these tapes came out. I listened to those every night before bed for a long time. Like instead of music. It's so cool oh, to listen to. This is such a great nerd confession. It's just make it's just like this is one of my favorite nerdy things about you, I think. But to be clear, I am not a Supreme Court expert. I am just an enthusiast. <laughs> 
So to unpack my enthusiasm this week, we did need an expert, and that is Dahlia Lithwick. She's a senior editor at Slate, host of the podcast Amicus, and she, I think, is doing some of the best and most accessible writing and talking about the Supreme Court today. Dahlia is also well known for writing a very important article about Muppet theory, which if you don't know about it, this is going to change your life. And later on in the show, we're going to get homework from Ruth Bader Ginsburg's personal trainer. Which is a real person, and we talk to them. Once the blood's flowing, then we do some rotational exercises, then we do some stretching exercises, and then we start hitting it. Dahlia, welcome to Nerdette. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. So can I start with a nerd confession for you? (laughs) Please. Okay, so I used to listen to tapes of the Supreme Court when I was a kid every night before bed. Is this the nerdiest Supreme Court-related thing? I could be doing? Uh, you, you know, you are. there are people who actually read the transcripts, so they're way nerdier than you are. I mean, <laughs> that's just a flat transcript. And you should just know that this is by way of weird historic anecdote, that for most of history, uh, until very recently, when you would read a transcript, it wouldn't even say which justice was speaking. They wanted to give the appearance of these oracular brains in vats. And so it didn't matter if it was Sandra Day O'Connor or Justice Brennan or Thurgood Marshall. So they would literally, when you got to the question part, it would just say the court. The court is speaking. And so you never knew. You couldn't reconstruct. Wait, Justice Kennedy and Justice Stevens, they look exactly alike. They say the same kinds of things. How will I ever know? And you would never know who was talking because they wanted to, you know, perpetuate this fiction that they all were the same. But um, people do. uh, They read transcripts and it's insane. I find it so interesting that this group of people have so much power, but historically at least, very little celebrity. Since so much of our culture equates power and celebrity and they have this mismatch of those two things, do you think that is changing? It sounds like it's changing a little. Oh, it's changed a lot. Even in my career, I think there was a long period of time where the justices really felt as though, with very few exceptions, you know, I think Justice Douglas, uh, Justice Marshall uh, had kind of big public personas. But for the most part, even uh, Justice uh, Bill Brennan uh, wanted nothing to do with public appearances, with television. They didn't give uh, interviews. They were pretty private people. And then I think really in the last 15, 20 years, there was this advent of the celebrity biography, celebrity autobiography. So suddenly Sandra Day O'Connor had written a book and she wanted to sell it. Uh, Clarence Thomas wrote a book. Sonia Sotomayor wrote a book not only that was a tremendous autobiography, but was selling off the shelves at Walmart and Kmart, really an accessible book. And I think as that happened, there tended to be this big uptick of justices going on Stephen Colbert going on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, you know, Sonia Sotomayor goes on Sesame Street. And so I think there's been a real trend toward, I think Justice Antonin Scalia described it uh, artlessly as coming out of the closet. I don't think he meant it that way, but I think he... He was probably unaware of what that phrase... Quite unaware. But I think what he meant was, he said, if everybody's going to have this public discourse around the justices, then we may as well be in it. And what we've seen more and more is justices willing to cut out the middleman, cut out that interview, the whispered interview to Jeff Tubin, where something that gets conveyed and then is confused and more apt to, again, if they have a book to hawk, this is particularly the case, but more apt to be very uh, front and center and 
we've seen less of that, I think, in the last two years, only because I think the justices were quite traumatized, literally, by what happened with Merrick Garland, by what happened with Neil Gorsuch, by the incredible oddity of having a, a not confirmation hearing. And they got very, very quiet, you may have noticed, with the exception of Justice Ginsburg, yeah. who thought she'd tell the world how she felt about the president. But uh, they've been quieter this past few few years. But generally, I think you're quite right. The trend has been, uh, I may as well just say it myself, I'd rather not be filtered through someone else. And do you think that it's changing the way they do their work? Or is it just on top of the work? Is it bleeding into the courtroom? That's an interesting question. I think that there was a real raft of academic writing toward the end of Justice Scalia's career when he was starting to write in this Bill O'Reilly soundbite smackdown tone that a lot of academics, I'm thinking of Erwin Chemerinsky, uh, who's now at Berkeley, uh, who said this is very much uh, an, an out growth of this bleeding into the popular discourse, wanting to be quotable, wanting to be funny, trying to understanding that not everyone is going to read page A1 of the New York Times, but they're all going to read Smackdown tweets by Scalia on BuzzFeed. And so I think there was a feeling that some of this celebrity culture, for good and for bad, was starting to inflect on the ways they were writing and conducting themselves. Uh, I think there's less of that now. I do think that Scalia really reveled in being a big public figure. But I also think that Justice Ginsburg, in a lot of interesting ways, with this whole kind of interesting tote bag T-shirt cult of RBG, uh, I think she's also using public discourse, using the media in a way that is certainly new. I don't think that we historically had justices who were quite this involved in the national discourse and certainly about themselves. But I think also in interesting ways, I think both she and Sonia Sotomayor have decided, look, if I'm going to be on the minority on this court, and particularly if I'm going to be a woman on this court, I'm not going to try to do this in dissents. I'm just going to get out there and talk to young women in colleges and high school and help them understand what the issues are. And I think that is that is beginning to happen in ways that are both interesting. And I think if you worry about the court being seen as this apolitical, non-ideological entity, ways that sometimes are worrisome, too. I mean, I don't think that any other Supreme Court justice has published their workout yeah, RBG is doing something different. She's doing something brand new, I think. She is. And it's really, you know, I think, as I said, both she and Sotomayor, Sotomayor is kind of famous for she's out there salsa dancing. People see her at the subway. She is at every public school that asks her to speak to young Latina girls. She is there. Even a scientist. Wow. Do you have a career? Yes, I do. I am a United States Supreme Court justice. <gasps> I went to school and studied law and then became a judge. Okay, then I know what career that I want to have. What's that? <sighs> Order in the court. Oh, Abby, I think you'll make it. She has just made a decision change. that she wants her life to stand for, among other things, the proposition that you two could have this job. And I think that's why Sesame Street, that's why she has really made an art form of 
working around the 5-4 problem and just saying, I'm going to just talk to 17-year-old girls. And I think RBG, you're quite right, is doing a version of that. And it's partly, I think, reveling in the fact that she's 84 and she weighs less than one of my legs. And <laughs> she can, by 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 Elena Kagan's admission, uh, RBG can bench press more than Kagan can. So she's Wait, a is tough there a, cook- Is there a gym in the office? Do they go to the same gym? <laughs> there is. Here's the thing that you don't know. Uh, there is a basketball court on what? the top floor. Yeah, wait for it. Highest court in the land, oh it's my called. God. And for a very long time, it was the site of all white, all male basketball, but but like imagine done by huge nerds. Um, so so when Sandra Day O'Connor comes onto the court after Reagan puts her on the court, she, remember it's the 80s, institutes the Sandra Day O'Connor alternate workout, which is, of course, a Jane Fonda style aerobics, I think, complete with the headband workout program. We can for, only for hope the- that there were headbands. <laughs> I think Elena Kagan, actually, when she clerked, uh, was one of the first people to decline to go uh, to the workout by fiat that O'Connor was forcing people to do. But I think that there was a hilarious girls and boys workout era at the court. Uh, the other thing that O'Connor started bringing to the court when she came was a big crock pot of chili that she would make everybody eat whether they wanted or not. So, yeah, we have things. <laughs> Do you have any favorite moments to share in terms of whether it was a formal or informal moment that you got to spend with one of them? Uh, that's a great question. Yes, I do. I do. I was at a dinner once where I sat next to Justice Scalia's wife, who is amazing in every way. Uh, and Justice Scalia was at a different table. And uh, she and I, I think I was struggling with whether my kid was in the right stream in first grade and public school and whatever. And of course, she's raised all these children and she had a lot to say about it. And we had this amazing conversation. I remember thinking like, this is the mom I wish I had for the purposes of public education conversations. And then Justice Scalia came up and he was tired and grumpy. And I think he realized that she was talking to someone who had written some not kind things about him over the years. (laughs) And he kept saying, say goodnight, Gracie, say goodnight, Gracie. And the more he did it, the more I just kept her relentlessly in conversation. Um, But I I have to say, I think I've never had anything but an incredibly pleasant interaction uh, with with every justice that I've met. I think I've met all of them. And I think it it goes to, and this is going to sound so corny, but I'm going to say it. I really do think that the court has been a kind of hallmark of trying to be collegial and trying to be apolitical and trying to put relationships first. When Justice Scalia died, I remember saying over and over ago in interviews, and nobody believed me, I remembered saying he really was best friends with RBG. That was not something they performed. I mean, they they could not have differed more on anything ideologically, but they were such dear friends of the heart. They adored each other. And I think that culture at the court, the notion that, you know, there's only nine of us. We're in it for, what, 40 years together. You know, we're going to be doing this forever. So we'd better figure out a way to get past ideology. And, you know, I think it, 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 it transcends. It transcends everything. It really does. They tend to put those relationships first. And you really feel it, even as a journalist in the court, that that collegiality first, everything else second. 
When we come back, Dahlia helps us answer a very important pressing question. If Supreme Court justices were Muppets, which Muppets would they be? Anthony Kennedy's easy. He's Sam the Eagle. Oh, Sam the Eagle. Yeah, no doubt. Give me a harder one. (laughs) Give me a harder one. Well, there's only nine. We're going through all nine. (laughs) I told you it was a really important question. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Dahlia, you wrote something in 2012 called A Unified Theory of Muppet Types. And it is something that Greta and I talk about, no lie, no joke, multiple times a week because it has helped me understand myself and the world so much better. Can you explain Muppet Theory? Um, so so I, I just want to be super clear that I covered, you know, Bush v. Gore. I covered the Fisher um, affirmative action case. I covered Heller, the gun case. By far and away, the most important piece of writing I've ever done was Muppet Theory. And the one and only time I got an ask from the Supreme Court press office, they said, will you please autograph one of your pieces? Uh, someone's getting married. We want to give it a, as a gift. And I thought, oh, of course, this will be Citizens Unite. No, Muppet Theory. Um, <laughs> so let us be completely clear that this is the, the signal piece of writing of my career. Um, I think that the genesis of the piece was uh, that I have two sons. One is a chaos Muppet. One is an order Muppet. And it is completely clear to me that everything you need to know in life is if you are closer to Cookie Monster, Fozzie Bear, uh, Ernie of Ernie and Bert, then you are probably a chaos Muppet who says chaos in the world. And if you are closer to Kermit the Frog, uh, you know, the most compulsive of the Muppets, uh, Scooter, uh, you are probably an order Muppet. And, and once you know that about yourself, you can figure out who you need to marry and you can figure out your job. And, you know, it's so, so I, I made the mistake of, of, writing that piece. I may have been drunk when I wrote it. And then, um, you know, the rest is history. It is cited back to me. I think there was one point in the campaign where Mitt Romney called Donald Trump a chaos Muppet. And I thought I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. My work is done. It's, it's in the discourse. So I guess I should ask you to self-identify first then. Are you an order or a chaos Muppet? I think I describe myself as an order Muppet on the outside, but chaos inside. I think I present present as order. Um, I should just one little footnote. I was watching Ferris Bueller with one of my kids last week, and he said there is a companion piece to chaos and order, which is are you a Cameron or a Ferris, Uh, (laughs) which is so meta because they're such complicated characters. But um, so that stay tuned. Let's let's see where that goes. But I I think I'm I'm probably I love look like an order, but I'm chaos on the inside. And you are too, so that explains a lot right here. I think it does explain quite a bit. It really helped me understand myself much better once I realized what combination of Muppets I was. That's good. I'm glad to serve. Hello? Okay, just a second. It's for you. Shall we run through our current Supreme Court and give them their Muppety 
counterpart? I feel that we must. Yes. Let's start with Elena Kagan. I think Elena Kagan is Jan. I think she's just, <laughs> you know, she's certainly the closest thing to a, you know, so. Oops, sorry. Like I was totally just tuning up my harp. You know, she moves her head in that way. I'm going to I'm going to make her Jan. Clarence Thomas. <sighs> Clarence Thomas is really hard. Uh, I think he might be. This is this is hard to do without a lot of studying. Uh, I think that Clarence Thomas might be Beaker. I think he could be interesting. Beaker. An interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated, psychologically very, very complicated man. I'm going with Beaker. Anthony Kennedy. Anthony Kennedy's easy. He's the eagle. He's Sam the eagle. Oh, no Sam doubt. the eagle. Yeah. Let this serve as a reminder to us all. Opening mail that does not belong to you is a federal offense. You could go to prison. Thank you. No doubt. Give me a harder one. <laughs> Give me a harder one. <laughs> well, there's only nine. We're going through all nine. <laughs> Let's do Briar. Briar is such a chaos muppet. I think uh, for Briar, I would probably go with probably Ernie. Uh, propensity to sort of blurt out. And then realize maybe no I shouldn't kidding. have said that. Wow, Gladys, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Ernie, yep. Ernie, Ernie. Oh, uh, hang you, on. You know, uh, yes, Bert. You know you're talking to a banana. All right, no, Bert. Actually, I'm talking to Gladys on a banana. Uh, could you excuse me? I'm back, Gladys. Gladys. All right, hang on, Gladys. You know Gladys the elephant? You know from the circus? You know elephant, big ears. Trunk, I know what an elephant you know? is, Ernie. Mm-hmm. But how can you be talking to an elephant on a banana? By using my imagination, Bert. Excuse me. Uh, Alito. (sighs) Alito is probably, I think Alito might be Kermit. I think uh, a little umbergy, but heart in the right place. Yep. Mm -hmm. Friends do not spy. I spy because I care. Well, I care too. Well, why don't you say so? I just did. All right. This is very hard. I'm going to live to regret this. I'm going to get strongly worded emails from the justices. I'm going with Kermit. If you get any official follow-up on this, please They are share. in your inbox. They are in your inbox. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts. John Roberts is, I think, an order muppet. I think, I think for John Roberts, I would say... That John Roberts might have that, like Statler and Waldorf. You know those guys who oh, sit yeah. up in the belly. <laughs> I think he's got some of that. He cares. He's sort of in it, but watching it, he cares about the institution. He's the big picture guy. What was that? It's called the medium sketch. The medium sketch? Yeah, it wasn't rare, and it certainly wasn't well done. <laughs> I don't know, as between Statler and Waldorf, where I would put him on the Statler-Waldorf continuum, but I think he's he's those guys. The Statler-Waldorf continuum is a great <laughs> band name. Someone pocket that. Sonia Sotomayor. Sonia Sotomayor. Who has interacted the most with Muppets, probably. She has. I'm trying to think uh, who she is. I think she could be Fozzie Bear. I think that she is just a, a big bundle of love. She is certainly the huggiest justice. Now, frog of my heart, yes. you will just wait until I say the word here. When you hear me say the word here, you will rush up to me and say, good grief, 
The comedians are there. Good grief, the comedians uh, are there. And I think she's got some, I think she brings uh, some rare chaos to the court. Uh, so I, I think Fuzzy. Hey, hey, folks, this is a story you're going to love to hear. Good grief, the comedians are there. <laughs> what you said here? Not that here. No wish here. Another here. What about the new guy? What about Neil? Oh, boy. He is, he is, talk about a chaos Muppet. He is bringing havoc uh, everywhere he goes. Uh, have I done the Swedish chef yet? Nope. I think I'm That is an go. open casting call for the Swedish chef. There you go. I think he's the Swedish chef. First in the puppety corn. First in the puppety corn, the shrimpies. Shrimpies. That's delightful. Wait, I think that leaves. Does that mean that Ginsburg is Miss Piggy? I think so. That is the only one left. I think that Ginsburg, I'm just, I happen to be looking at an image of Miss Piggy with like pearls and gloves and um, like a neck thing made out of what looks like leopard skin. And I, that is really how Ginsburg dresses. Ginsburg dresses like Ginger from the love from um, Gilligan's Island, just like fabulosity. So let's, let's go with Miss Piggy. Yep. I really am this fabulous. Hard to believe, I know. <sighs> We did it. This was really uh, incredibly hard work. Very stressful. Dahlia, thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. This was extremely fun. Thank you for having you. I feel like I want to say mana mana, but I'm not going to do it. I mean, if you do, I'll go do 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 <laughs> and see. <laughs> <laughs> So, Trisha, you and Dahlia are both order on the outside, chaos on the inside. How did it feel to have like a, a Muppet doppelganger with you, soulmate? Since we talked about it, I'm thinking that maybe I'm actually chaos on the inside and the outside. I think maybe <laughs> I just need to lean into the chaos, just wow. accept it. I feel like this is a real evolution of your Muppethood here. Yeah. Well, I think yours is spot on, though, still. Like, I don't want you to question your Muppet. It does make me question mine. <laughs> like, am I just order everywhere? No, you're chaos on the outside, playing it cool, (laughs) order on the inside. I'm really trying, man. (laughs) You've got the, what is it, a nougaty, which is chaos a nougaty center? Yeah, Yeah, chaos must be nougaty. There's nothing nougaty about order. Yeah, no, you're like a butterfinger on the inside, (laughs) and I am a three musketeers, just inside and out. It's just nougat. Uh, it's just as, chaos. As long as my spice rack is alphabetized. We've now mixed candy and Muppet metaphors, That's but good. I believe our audience can handle it and that it's delicious. It's, <laughs> it is, in fact, delicious. Coming up for homework, we are going to have a chat with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's personal trainer about how many push-ups you should be doing if you want to be a Supreme Court justice Yep, when you grow up. And now... Time for homework. Your assignment this week is to hit the gym. And because this is our Supreme Court episode, we are going to talk with the personal trainer of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. His name is Bryant Johnson. He is amazing. This is really for the nerds. Okay. If you add the letters of attitude up, A is the first letter of the alphabet. T is letter 20. So forth okay. and so on. Do you realize that it equals to a hundred? Now, is that nerd or what? <laughs> so yes, I am that nerd for you. 
Bryant is the author of The RBG Workout, How She Stays Strong, and You Can Too. I got him on the phone to walk me through a typical workout for an 84-year-old Supreme Court justice. It always starts like this. She walks in, I'm already there. News hour is probably already on. And my greeting is always, hey, Justice, how you doing? And depending on how she responds, I take an assessment from that. Then from that assessment, I adjust the workout, and then I adapt the workout according to what's going on. And so the workout is simple, as it is in the book. You know, we start off, we have a warm-up, either it's on the elliptical treadmill. Nine times out of ten, it's the elliptical. Warming up, get the heart rate flowing a little bit, like to get the blood flowing. Once the blood's flowing, then we do some rotational exercises, then we do some stretching exercises, and then we start hitting it. <laughs> start from the chest press to the leg extensions to the leg curls to the pull down to the rows to the fly. And this is all in one workout? You're doing all this stuff? Do you have a copy of the book? I do. I'm looking at it right now. I just wasn't, you know, like sometimes like some people have like leg day and then arm day. You're doing all this stuff in one workout. Yes. We are doing this entire workout. We are doing some version of every exercise that's in that book, that entire workout. Someone asked me, says, well, what part do you do? I was like, you have the book? I said, yeah, the whole book. <laughs> He's like, you do How long does it take you to do the whole book? How long does it take? That's my next question. It's about an hour. Yeah. But. But here's, here's the part that people seem to lose sight of. We've been doing this since 1999. Right. So see, while this is new to everybody else, this is not new to us. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you guys meet up once a week usually? No, twice a week. Twice a week. Twice a week. Twice a week. <laughs> um, only time it's really once a week is if my schedule and her schedule conflicts. You know, because I'm also, you know, I'm also in the military. I'm also traveling and Justice also travels. But we try to plan the schedule out. Usually about a month or two months or three months in advance, we just kind of look, I sync our schedules up. So that way she doesn't have to think about it. If I'm on her calendar, then she's going to do it. What's your favorite thing about working with the justice? Her consistency, showing up. She shows up even when she is just tired and she's almost like a walking zombie. She still shows up. So is it fair to say that most of your clients are nerds? What do you consider a nerd? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you got to give me that definition because I technically could be a nerd. Oh, you're definitely a nerd. Well, how do you know I'm a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> so at, on Nerdette, the definition of nerd that we work with is mm-hmm. we think of it more even as a verb. Like it's not about what you love. It's about how much you love it. So if you're super excited about anything, then you're a nerd about it. So then, yes, I would be a nerd and she would be a nerd. And the reason why I say that she would be a nerd because it did not take the justice long to realize the advantage of exercise and the effects it has on her body and the improvement it has on her body. Is it going to make her live longer? No. I never say that it will help you live longer. However, comma, C-O-M-M-A, it will improve your quality of life. And that's what I always say. Also, I have to say, I love her Super Diva t-shirt. Is that real? You know, people always ask about the Super Diva. And yes, that's a shirt that she wears all the time. But everybody really is a super diva because that super diva is that that woman. It can be guys, too. But that woman that just puts that grind in and you know how the nerds, they love something, but they put that grind in no matter what. They grind and they grind and they still sometimes they complain, sometimes they don't. But they still show up and they do it. And that's why she's that super diva. That's why everyone's that super diva. You know, when you put in that work on your podcast, 
and you grinding, you are that super diva. Oh man, I love you. This has been so good. Brian Johnson, thank you so much for talking about this. This has been super fun. I'm really excited about this book. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day. (laughs) You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Our intern is B. Aldrich. If you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on NPR One or listen in the WBEZ app, that's really cool. It's also really helpful if you give us some stars wherever it is you're listening and subscribing, like the fantastic Lars and the Law did. That's a good one for this week. Yeah, it's thematically appropriate. Lars and the Real Law. Also, thanks to could underscore not underscore watch underscore this underscore movie for their nice review as well. Thank you for enunciating the underscore. You're welcome. That was for you. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast in all the places. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. From the chest press to the leg extensions to the leg kickbacks to the one-legged squats. And all of a sudden, no, wait a minute. We're not doing push-ups yet. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.